Good morning. I invite you to open your Bibles. You can turn to Luke chapter 22. Luke 22. We have been working our way through uh, Luke's gospel for some time now. And uh, re- in recent days, we have been uh, weaving our way through his narrative of the final week of Jesus' life and ministry, um, a week in the city of Jerusalem and its surroundings, uh, a week that has been quite eventful. Um, in the, the collective uh, accounts that we have in the four Gospels, uh, it's believed that um, 40 to 50 percent of the writing that we have in the Gospels is focused on the final week of Jesus' life. It's uh, important, these events that we have here, and um, as Luke presents us with his narrative, we begin to see the drama of the events build and build. We are at the point now uh, in the Gospel account where Jesus has just spent his final meal with his disciples. He has instituted the new covenant in the Lord's Supper. He has worshipped with them. He has spent the night in the garden in prayer, agonizing prayer, as we saw last week. All of this is leading up to, as we are familiar with, the suffering that lies before him. The events that will take place in the final hours of his life are circumstances that highlight the sorrow and pain that Jesus must endure. And so this morning, we'll be looking at the beginning of these suffering events. We're going to begin in verse 47 of chapter 22, and I'm going to read all the way through verse 62. This is the word of the Lord. And while he was still speaking, there came a crowd, and the man called Judas, one of the twelve, was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. And Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him. Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. 
Then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him, for he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Our Heavenly Father, we gather this morning as your people, and we gather before you and under your word, and we ask that you, by your Spirit, will give us eyes to see truth, and ears to hear truth, that you may change our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We have before us this picture of Jesus as he now enters into the suffering and trial. And this text before us is meant for us to observe the resolve of Jesus. His hour has come, and in this text, we see the strength of Christ as he begins to face his suffering. We are also meant to see not only the strength of Jesus in this text, but we are to see also the weakness of men. So the ministry of Jesus, and really the whole thrust of all of Scripture, the whole course of history has been leading up to this point. And in this climax of history, Jesus responds to rejection and suffering with steadfast resolve to accomplish his mission because of his great love for his followers. This text is meant to have a profound effect on us as we witness the pain and the sorrow that Jesus endures because he loves us. We're meant to be affected by Jesus as this one who is poised to bear our griefs 
and to carry our sorrows. As we witness the strength of Jesus and as we witness the weakness of men, we are to respond. The only appropriate way to respond to the suffering Savior is to turn to Him and worship. The drama that Luke records for us of the suffering Savior in this text is highlighted by a kiss, a lie, and a look. That's how we're going to walk through this text this morning. First, a kiss. As Judas leads the band of men who would come to arrest Jesus, he tells them that he will signal who Jesus is by greeting him with a kiss. A kiss was a customary greeting between friends. Like a warm handshake or a hug for a friend that we have. Judas comes to the quiet garden in the darkness of night and approaches his friend to give him a kiss to betray him. This was a man who had shared intimate moments with Jesus. This was a man who had spent day after day and night after night with Jesus as his friend. Intimate conversations and meals, times of teaching and times of worship together. Jesus, Judas does not, not just know of Jesus. He's one of his close friends, one of his companions. See, we're so familiar with the story of Judas' betrayal that I think we often tend to forget how intimate of a friendship this man had with Jesus. We know of Judas as the one who is full of wickedness and evil. We call people in our day a Judas because of wicked, evil betrayal. But Jesus referred to Judas by his first name because he was his friend. They were close. And so, as, Jesus, as Judas comes to give Jesus a kiss, it highlights for us just how painful that would have been for Jesus. How much Relational heartbreak is bound up in this moment. How much sorrow and grief he is faced with as his friend comes to betray him. This relationship that is highlighted by their closeness is now being highlighted by rejection that Jesus had to endure. Jesus is not turned over by an enemy. He's betrayed by a friend. Betrayed by a friend named Judas. And we see in 
the question of Jesus, the pain that is there as he asks him, looking into his eyes, would you betray me with a kiss? There is pain bound up in the question of a savior as a friend betrays his master. This is not the first time that a man has betrayed his master in a garden. The first man, Adam, who had intimate fellowship and friendship with God, was tempted by Satan. And in the garden where their fellowship was enjoyed, he betrayed his Lord. That sin has echoed and rippled throughout all of human history. Every time a man falls into sin, it's a betrayal against a God who wants and desires intimate fellowship with him. And so we see Judas bringing to Jesus the first of his heartache and suffering that lies before him. This betrayal with a kiss. This kiss leads not just to this betrayal, but to an arrest. And notice the timing of these events. This arrest comes in the middle of the night, in the seclusion of a quiet garden, in the darkness that is in the air. This crowd is a mix of chief priests and temple officers and elders, all coming out in the middle of the night in the cover of darkness to arrest Jesus. They are driven by jealousy. And they know that they have no real charges to bring against Jesus. And so they come out in the cover of darkness. And Jesus points this out by asking the question in verses 52 and 53. He says, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. This is your hour and the power of darkness. Jesus is saying you had every opportunity in the day, in the city, to seize me. But you come away from the crowd in the cover of the night because you're cowards. You're cowards. You're weak men. You're afraid of the crowd. And we have before us highlighted the corruption of this arrest. There is deep corruption that, that has to be covered over. And so they, they come to Jesus at night. So Jesus is betrayed by a kiss, arrested, and he's now abandoned. Luke, in his account, doesn't mention it specifically here, but we can pick it up from the narrative that Jesus' disciples, they do not stick by his side after Jesus is led away. In both Matthew and Mark's account, they say specifically that all the disciples fled the scene. This is a fulfillment of the prophetic words of Zechariah where he says, strike the shepherd 
and the sheep will scatter. So with a kiss, Jesus has been betrayed by a friend, arrested by cowards, and abandoned by his disciples. The Savior is suffering, and he's doing it alone. Now, let's look at a lie. The drama of the story We get a personal look at one of the disciples and how they respond to the circumstances that are going on. Peter. He's a leader among the disciples. But we have recorded for us a moment where he is brought low during the confusing hours. And he stumbles and falls into sin. It's helpful for us to see the progression of Peter's fall. And as we examine the weakness of men, it should therefore be a moment for ourselves to reflect on our own weakness. This lie begins with sifting circumstances. Earlier in the chapter, when Jesus was with his disciples, in verse 31... He says, Simon, Simon, he's speaking to Peter. Behold, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Satan comes and asks permission to sift him like wheat. There are many ways that the tempter and the father of lies can sift a man. The craftiness of Satan is tailor-made for an individual. Tailor-made temptations in hopes to bring men to their destruction. And so Peter receives a tailor-made sifting by Satan himself in these circumstances. These circumstances are unexpected for Peter. He did not think it was going to go down this Way And in the midst of these circumstances, he's shaken and he begins to stumble. We must ask ourselves, how do we, how do we respond when the circumstances of our life aren't going the way we expect? How do we respond when things don't go as planned? Are we shaken by them? Do we see that those kinds of circumstances that shake us, that bring trial, that bring pain and confusion, are they not sifting that is happening in our lives? How does Peter respond? Well, Peter, in the midst of this, he tries to hold on to his own self-ability. He is self-reliant. He may be confused by the circumstances, but he is holding confidence in himself to make it through. After Jesus' warning that we just read in verse 31, Peter responds with confidence in himself in verse 33 of this chapter. Peter said to him, Lord, I am ready to go with you both to prison and death. See, Peter truly loves Jesus and he is so confident in his own ability to remain faithful 
that pride takes advantage of him. His own pride begins to well up. He says in another gospel of the disciples, these all might fall away, but I won't. He's self-reliant. His pride wells up. And Proverbs 16, 18 tells us, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter's relying on his own ability to keep balance when the tempter comes and sifts him with circumstances. So what's your default reaction when you are faced with temptations? What's your first thought when temptation enters into the scene and circumstances of your day? Do you stand in self-reliance, in your own strength, your own ability to think your way out of the situation, to hold fast in yourself. I can handle it. I've got this. That's how Peter responded. And so, as a result of the sifting circumstances, as a result of Peter's resolve to be self-reliant, we see that Peter is prayerless. His self-reliance leads to prayerlessness. Peter's confidence is in himself, and that naturally keeps him from praying. Prayer is dependence on another. Peter's dependence is on himself. And so in the moments, right before Jesus' arrest, Peter warns his disciples twice that they should be praying because temptation is coming. This is in verses 40 and 46 of this chapter. Peter says to his men, pray that you may not enter into temptation. Temptation is coming, boys. Be praying. But Peter, he chose sleep over prayer. And it's apparent that he is resting in himself. Do you find in your own life a pattern of falling into the same temptations over and over? Temptations that come and you think that you have them beat, but again and again you find yourself sorrowful because you've fallen again? Consider how much have you battled in prayer? Because of that temptation. How long have you stayed up to wrestle with God in prayer? Because you know temptation is coming. There is very often a direct connection between prayerlessness and falling into temptation. We must be on our guard. We must. Be diligent in prayer if we're to keep our feet from failing underneath of us. So Peter is sifting in these circumstances. He is prayerless and self-reliant. And as a result, we begin to see that Peter is now distant. The combination of these things have taken their toll on Peter and we begin to see him waver. He has been walking with 
Jesus nearly every day for three years, following closely by. And here, Luke tells us that Peter was following, but at a distance. Now, we must give Peter some credit, because at this point, we have seen that almost all the other disciples have fled and are nowhere on the scene. So Peter at least looks like he's trying, but Luke makes note for us that he has still backed away. He's making efforts to see what's going on and to be near Jesus, but he is cautious and careful and he's finding himself at a distance. There's a distance now between him and Jesus. And when there is distance between Jesus and one of his followers, you can be sure that sin is at hand. Let me ask you, how would you label your proximity to Jesus? Are you close to him? Comfortably close, but not so close that his presence affects everything you do? Are there times as you think back on your week where you would have been uncomfortable if Jesus was right there next to you? There's never a time or a place when increasing distance between yourself and Jesus will work out for the better. We must draw close to Jesus. It's always better. This distance now, it shakes Peter and it brings great fear to his heart. In the heat of the moment and the barrage of questions and accusations, Peter stumbles because he is now afraid. His not-so-long-ago bravado has faded. This is a man who just hours before has said, No, it won't be me. I will never betray you. I will never deny you. I will not fall away. And just moments before this, as John records for us, he is the man who draws the sword and strikes the ear off of the high priest's servant because he's not afraid. Because he was next to Jesus. But now at a distance, fear has seized him. His bravado has faded. The sifting has got him scared. He fears those around him. And fear brings a flood of questions to his mind. What will happen if I'm exposed? What will these people think? What will they say? What will they do if they know that I'm a friend of Jesus? I think we can all relate with Peter in this moment. I think if we look back on our lives, we have been in these places. We have had those questions come flooding to our own minds. We find ourselves in a certain group of people, in a certain crowd, a certain context, and the, the actions that we take, the words that we say, we begin to measure them for fear of being exposed as a friend of Jesus. I think particularly for the teenagers here this morning, 
this is a familiar temptation for you to do things and say things that would expose you as one who wants to be near to Jesus. That can be fearful. Let me encourage you that to do those things and to say you know and love Jesus is always better. The immediate circumstances may shake you, but the eternal consequences will fill your heart with joy. But in the midst of these questions, And this temptation before him, Peter falls. His self-confidence and prayerlessness, his distance and fear, they lead to him denying that he even knows Jesus. He is now ensnared. And Peter not only lies once, but he does it three times. The other gospel writers record that with each lie, it intensifies. So eventually, he denies knowing Jesus accompanied with curses and swearing. He becomes adamant in his sin. His fear of of the others brings him not only to stumble in sin, but he he becomes impassioned in it. Have you ever found yourself so deep down the road of sin that you're even passionate about it? That's where Peter found himself. So shaken, so fearful, passionately running into temptation and sin. And at that moment, over his own words of denial, the rooster crows. And that sound of the rooster catches the ear of Peter and he snaps from his sin and he looks up and he catches the gaze of his friend. A look. A look that brings immediate conviction. Jesus turned and looked at Peter. And what did Peter see in the gaze of Jesus? He saw his own guilt. The crow of the rooster was the sound that rang out to catch Peter's ears to the words of his denial. And the look of Jesus was what caught Peter's eye and cut him to his heart. He was immediately convicted of his sin. And immediately, Luke tells us that he remembered what Jesus said. Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. The revelation of his wrongdoing caused him great sorrow. It is good and right to be sorrowful of our sin. We should, we should shed more tears over what grieves God. But even more than the sorrow of his own sin for Peter was the sorrow over the one whom he sinned against. You see, the gaze of Jesus, it broke Peter's heart because in the eyes of Christ, his offense to the one whom he stated with boldness, I will never deny you, 
is highlighted. John MacArthur speaks of this account this way. He says, it's not really our sins that make us weep. They have a part in it. But for Peter, it wasn't just his sin that made him weep. It was when we see the kind of Savior we have sinned against that really makes us weep. In the eyes of Jesus, Peter remembers the kind of Savior he is and it breaks his heart. Peter sees in Jesus' eyes a look that not merely brings conviction, but a look that brings compassion. The gaze from Jesus are eyes that are filled with compassion for his friend. The text tells us that Jesus turns to look at Peter. Turns from what? Jesus turns from the trial, from the accusations, from the trumped up charges, from the mockery, from spitting in his face. All that is right before him, he turns to look at Peter with compassion. As if to say with his eyes, I'm going through this for you. I'm standing here in strength where you have fallen in weakness because I love you. Charles Spurgeon speaks of this look when he says this. I think it was a heart-piercing look and a heart-healing look all in one. A look which revealed to Peter the blackness of his sin and also the tenderness of his master's heart towards him. With this gaze filled with conviction and compassion, Peter went out and wept Bitterly, he cried and he cried over the sin and the sorrow of it, the pain of knowing who he had sinned against, the compassion, the love and the mercy of the Savior was for him. Peter sheds tears in solitude, but not to himself. He cries before the Lord. The brokenness of his heart causes him to cry out to God in sorrow and repentance. Jesus cries because Judah, Peter cries because Jesus is enduring all of this pain and suffering for him. He is going to the cross. In just a few hours from this moment, the Savior will be nailed to a tree. To bleed and to die in the place of sinners. To remove the punishment that sin so deserves. To rescue Peter and everyone who repents from their sin. So Peter weeps before God in sorrow 
and repentance. And he remembers what Jesus said to him just earlier in this chapter in verse 32. After Jesus says that Satan demanded to sift you like wheat, he told Peter, I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Jesus has prayed for Peter in the moment of his trial and temptation. He stumbled, but his faith may not fail. Peter repents in faith, holding on to the promise and the prayer of Jesus. John tells us at the end of his gospel that the resurrected Jesus comes to Peter and asks him three times if he loves him. Peter responds three times, I love you, Lord. Jesus gives Peter the opportunity to profess his love for Christ for every time he denied knowing him to restore Peter. This is the mercy and the kindness of the suffering Savior. This is the way of Christ. His mercy for weak Sinners, it knows no bounds. He has walked the path of sorrow and suffering. The prophet Isaiah tells us, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely, he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the, ch- the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Peter has fallen, but his faith has not failed. Many of you have come here this morning, and you know all too well the bitterness of falling into temptation, the heartbreak of walking in sin. This morning, Jesus sets his gaze on you. Yes, it's a gaze that brings conviction. But know this, friend. It's a gaze that's filled with compassion. So I ask you, have you turned to him? Have you turned from sin that you would stand and not deny him? But cry out, I know him, I love him, and I'm thankful for him. And if you have turned to him, and you have seen and tasted of his great mercy, then bow before him and worship him.
He is worthy of it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, this morning, we praise you and thank you for your word. We thank you that you have come and spoken to us through your word. We thank you that your spirit is present among us. And we thank you that we have a suffering Savior who is full of mercy for sinners. May our hearts overflow with worship of him. In his great name we pray. Amen.